Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you tonight and we do glorify who you are. We do sing glory to your name because you are worthy. And as James starts this lesson tonight, he's very much starting the chapter by saying, our glorious Lord Jesus. Father, we tonight know how glorified you are. We know how glorified Jesus is, and we know how glorified your Holy Spirit is. And so tonight we pray to all three persons because we need every one of them tonight. We come to you because we, we love you and we're grateful for our salvation and we're grateful for how we watched you work today in hard times and in not so hard times and in joy or in sorrow. We, we have watched you stay by us and we know you are at work. And Father, so often it's so easy to kind of run amok when, when life just kind of curves us in the wrong direction, when things don't go smoothly or go the way we want them to go. But you remain, you remain God. And so today, if we have somehow gotten off track from that thought that you are God, there is none other, and you will never change, and you will always be there. Lord, we thank you for the truth of James chapter 2 today. Lord, we know it is just so relevant and so personal. Lord, we know that you convict and we know you challenge and sometimes you just make us plain uncomfortable. But Lord, you do that because you love us so much and you don't want us to miss all what we have learned. And we're learning that We've got to put into practice what we've heard, what we might have read or studied. We've got to work it. So tonight, Lord, we know there's many who are going through difficulties. Lord, we know that there's many of our loved ones who are hurting in some way. And Lord, maybe we've come tonight with a, with a I don't know, maybe it's just been one of those days. Or maybe... Maybe someone's come here tonight and their joy is just overflowing. And Lord, however you find our state tonight, you are ready to meet us. Lord, we thank you for these words that are going to penetrate right to our heart. And it will, it will give us just exactly what we need. May, may we know that ahead of time because we're going to be listening for it because that's what you promised Oh, it's going to be a great night. And we didn't even need the words, did we? we? We sang, we were reminded that when all is well with our soul, that's all that matters. Our sin, not par, but the hole's been nailed to the cross. Nothing else matters. And we know that someday our faith will be sight and the trump will sound. That's real. That's true. What a day that's going to be. Oh, may, may we take to heart what we've sung. Thank you for your presence here tonight. We know for sure you are here. And we pray it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 
All right, now we are in James chapter 2, and I promised Tom that I wasn't going to do review. But I'm sorry, while I'm up here, it's just going to have to happen just a little bit. No, no. Um, No, the only reason we said no review tonight is because um, this isn't a letter. You know, James is writing five chapters, but it wasn't like Ephesians and Philippians where it was a letter. And so we had to kind of review what the letter was about before we got into the next part of the letter. So, you know, that part, you know, we kind of know that... um, you know, we don't need to review, but I'm still with, with Paul and Peter. Both of them said, I'm not ashamed to repeat this again. I'm not ashamed to be able to go over certain points. So just, you know, obviously we're going to do chapter two, but just so that we don't forget the points in chapter one. And so very quickly, let's just go over the main points of James chapter one. Remember we said last week, James is Jesus' brother and how James has had a transformed life. And we don't know all the details. We just know for sure that he is transformed. Oh, I almost forgot that. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad that all of you dare do that to me because I would never want to forget. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. Amen? Amen. All right. So James is transformed. He is, he is addressing the the Jews, because James is the head of the Jerusalem church, and he knows that the Jews even need instruction. And um, But of course, because God's Spirit is making James write this, it's good for all people. It's good for us tonight. But, but that's why he said to the 12 tribes. But then he goes right away. James is no nonsense. He goes right into consider pure joy, my brothers. When you face trials, when you suffer, you know, and I think this is so exciting to think that we are learning that, that that when we have sufferings, when we have trials, we can consider joy because God is up to something. And he is going to work it for good. He knows what we need. He knows, he knows exactly what's going to take us to the next step in our knowing him. And, and, he's, and James is considered joy because you're going to learn how to persevere. You're going you're gonna to learn how to hang on tight you're going to get tougher. You're going to be able to stand up taller and stronger. That word persevere is so good. And then he says, and that then will move into maturity. And that's something we should be wanting, that we are spiritually maturing, that we're not staying stagnant, going backward, but that, that every day as we open our Bibles and we study a little more, we know them a little more, and that changes us a little more, and that matures us a little more. So our reactions aren't childlike, but they're more like adult, like mature people. Like when you are spiritually mature, you can handle, you don't fall apart. You are hurt, yes, but you are sure. And so perseverance leads to maturity. And then James says it will even go as far as to complete you. That your trust is is such that you might not understand this situation or like it, but you trust them. So perseverance leads to maturity. That leads to completeness so that you and I lack nothing. When we say that, this is our Bible, it's all we need. 
when we sing the song, he is all I need, that we are not just saying or singing words, but we're experiencing that that's true. So see, maturity leads to that lacking nothing. We're complete in him. He is sufficient. And then he goes on and he talks about, you know, wisdom. And we, we said the difference, and I, I want to make this, I want to repeat this too, because, you know, the difference between knowledge, which is good, we need knowledge, but knowledge is, is raw information. I mean, we get knowledge from everywhere. And so we're hearing information all the time. So what's the difference between raw information and wisdom? Wisdom is when you, when you can take that information and decide what's godly information. So you can differentiate and say, you know what, I'm going to leave that knowledge that I, I just learned. I don't need that knowledge. That is not going to be good for me. Wisdom is when you know that when you receive all this knowledge and you get all this knowledge, you know when to pick and choose. You know when to put some of that aside because it's not good for you. And wisdom is also when you can take that knowledge, that, you, that information that you have gained, and then put it to use. It just doesn't sit there and, and, and get you more smart, get you smarter. No, we want to be wise. We want to be wise people. We want to be run by wisdom. We don't need to be that smart. We just need to be able to take the knowledge that is feeding us all the time and, and know what's godly, what's godly, what God wants us to do, what he wants us to, to glean and, and take apart, and then to be able to use it and let this wisdom change us. Sometimes, sometimes I, I kind of say, wisdom is the Holy Spirit talking to me. You know, knowledge is what everybody's talking to me, feeding me all kinds of information. Real wisdom is when I can hear the Holy Spirit and know that this is the instruction that he wants me to have, and I want it to. So, and then, then he talks about, um, about brothers and, and that are maybe, you know, rich. And we're going to talk about that word tonight, rich. And it's not just money-wise. It's people who, who, it can be people with, who trust their, just their money or people who trust their fame or people who trust their power or someone who trusts their influence. You know, they're, they're rich in the world's assets in so many different ways. And, and sometimes you can get so much of that, even though every good and perfect gift comes from above. But sometimes we take a little more credit for it than what God wants us to, and then we start relying on it more than he wants us to. In fact, we start relying on it more than him. And then we get a little self-cocky and self-confident and almost self-righteous, and that four-letter word gets in the way and, and Paul says you know, or James says you know what's good it's good when when someone like that gets humbled and gets lowered and and makes them see themselves for what they truly are 
And then to those who maybe think that they're just not worth anything and they want to almost give up because they're not worth anything and they think God could possibly use them. He says, oh, it's so good that they're raised because it, and the only way that I, I think it's, it's, I see the Lord lowering one group of people, but then he's raising another group of people. And guess what? Look, there, there everybody stands the same at Calvary. I think that's such an important point. And then he talks about blessed are those who persevere. There's that word again, under, under trial. And you'll gain that crown of life. That crown of life. That's... That's the crown that you and I want to have, the crown of real living, the kind of life that only Jesus can give, and the blessings that only, only God can give us from the heavenlies. Those are the blessings that we want. Talked about temptation. We talked in this chapter, trial, temptation. What's the difference? What's the difference between a trial and a temptation? We don't like to think that God would ever do anything to wake us up and it would he will never never ever use evil. He wouldn't ever use evil. But yet when we succumb to evil, when evil hits us, you know what? We have a God that says, "I can use that for good." To me, that's very comforting, and I hope it is for you. He will never tempt you. He will never use evil to take you down or to grab you around the neck. But he can use the things that happen to us. He can show himself in ways that maybe um, something that was just, you know, let's say everything is going so good all the time and get a little complacent. He knows. He knows what we need. So a trial is something that he will do for our benefit. And to say that a trial is from the Lord, yeah, yeah, a trial is. A temptation is of the evil one. And what's the difference between a trial and a temptation? It's, you know, you can be dealing with the same circumstance and how do you know if it's Satan trying to take you down or if it's the Lord trying to push you forward? How do you know? Well, it's which way you and I want to go. When you're going through a suffering, are you going to, you, when you're going through something very difficult, or, it's so easy to just give up. It's so easy to just find that our human nature just takes us down and we think there's no hope. That's what a temptation is, and that's what the devil would just love to have us. He would love to have us ineffective for him. But I've talked to you men. i talked to so many of you in the last weeks and even tonight. I know what you've been through. And you have watched the Lord take this suffering, these trials, and because you chose to see God in it, you did. And it only helped you grow. It only helped you mature. It only helped you know more than what you did before. And then, unfortunately, there's some people that you, you might run into, and, you know, they're just, they see no victory. They see every suffering and, and every, and they're, Satan is just using that to just show them that, oh, you can, you can say you're doomed. You can say it's hopeless. You can say that you, know, you have every right to be discouraged and defeated. 
The enemy just loves to whisper those words in your ear. So there's a big difference between being tempted and being and, and allowing the Lord to use this trial for good. And I, and I hope that from now on we're mindful that we, we choose which direction we're going to go. Because to say that we're not going through going to go through difficult times ever again, that's unrealistic. So let's decide how we're going to handle them before they even come. We already know that when the difficulty comes, we're going to make the conscientious effort to let the Lord use this as a trial. And we're not going to let Satan take us down and tempt us to the point that that we feel the doom and the hopelessness. And we feel the defeat. So, all right. And then, and then he goes on and he says things like, um, take note of this. <laughs> take notes. James says, take notes. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. Slow to become angry. That's so important. And I hope that you're catching yourself from the truths of God's word that they're becoming a part of your heart. And so then the Holy Spirit can remind you that when it's so easy to speak instead of listen, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that's so prevalent and, and, and know that you need to stay humble. You need to, you know that you can't do it. You need him and you plant yourself in his word because his word can save you. Not only save you from um, hell, he's not just, not just not your salvation save you, but he can save you from having your day ruined or doing it the wrong way and then having to suffer the consequences. Saying, be mindful that every second we have to be conscientious of who we're going to listen to. Just a head full of knowledge, or are we going to take what we have learned, the wisdom of God, and use it? And then he said things like, don't just be hearers of the word. Don't just hear it. Don't just say oh that was a good lesson but be doers of it put it into practice and then he says you know we we talked about this last week when we introduced James is that I believe that many of the the topics that he talked about were things that he battled himself and that he learned the hard way and he's trying to trying to show us and keep us from um making the mistakes he did. And so he says, he says that, you know, keep a rain, tight rain on your tongue. If anyone thinks he's religious but can't hold his tongue, then he said, um, your religion is really worthless. He doesn't spare any words. And then he ends this chapter by, I think, such a beautiful um intro to the second chapter because I think tonight's lesson is pretty much on James wants us 
real. I think James learned how to play religion. He was raised in a Jewish home. He was raised in a very religious home. And he probably could follow all the patterns, and he, he did all the formulas right. And, you know, he, he, did a, he had all his P's and Q's and, and ducks in a row. And when it comes to religious behavior and all that, but he knew what was going on inside. And he knew that his religion was just outward. James is trying to get us to see that Christianity is a religion. But he's saying, I want you to see that the religion that God accepts, that's why it's got to be Christianity that he's talking about. The religion that God accepts is the one that is so mindful of not self, not self. Those who are willing to have compassion, those who, who, who put others first, um, those who will give expecting nothing in return. And that's why the example of the widow and the orphan, they can't give anything back. But because Jesus has taken over your heart and you are being transformed and your life is about him now and not you, you you're not taking turns. You're not seeing what you can get back. You're not breaking your arm with all the accolades, patting yourself on the back, how, how good you did that. No, that doesn't come into mind. When Christ takes over your heart, you find that your whole purpose is different. It's not about what you can gain And then he talks about, and don't be polluted. Don't be polluted by the world. Those two things that you can tell when you're real is that you, you're, you have a heart. You've got a heart like Jesus, and you've watched it change. And you can see that you're not the same as you used to be. You know you've got a long way to go, but you're making progress. But also, you know, Keep yourself away from the world. It's so easy to, because our human nature just wants to go there. But he said those two things, that's when you know you're real. And always be checking to see, is my religion real? Does he accept this behavior? Does he accept this countenance? Is he accepting what's going through my mind right now? See, now he's going to now detail a little bit more of that in this chapter. So he starts, my brothers, just a reminder about who he's talking to here. When he says, my brothers, he's not talking to a bunch of pagans. He's talking to people like you and I. You know, people who, who are supposed to know, that, but that's, we still battle with our human old nature because he is. And so he is talking to us to remind us to keep this forefront in our, in our minds. And my brothers, he says, my brothers and sisters, as believers, as believers in our glorious, in our glorious Lord Jesus, what a way to introduce the next line. He kind of sets our mind. Yes, we're all, we're family. We're family, brothers and sisters in Christ. 
We're supposed to have the mind of Christ. We're supposed to be being transformed into his likeness. And so he wants to make sure by that first line, he says, I want you to know we're in this together because of our glorious Lord Jesus. I never seen that word. How many times have, haven't we studied the book of James? And I didn't see that before. I must have went over too fast. And now I see him saying that for a reason. Do you realize, need I remind you again of who he is? We're brothers and sisters. We're family because of our glorious Lord Jesus. And then he says, don't show favoritism. Don't show favoritism. He's going to use words that just kind of make our skin crawl. Favoritism. Partiality. Um, discriminate. I mean, words that we don't even want to go there or admit. Or, but he's saying... We have to. We have to go here because it's a problem. Every human being, they might not want to admit it, but it's just something that's natural, and we've got to be mindful. We've got to be able to grab it before. He says, because of our glorious Lord Jesus. That's why we are who we are. Don't show favoritism. Get your eyes, get your focus, get your, get your spiritual eyes where they should be. Make sure you're seeing with your spiritual eyes and not just your physical eyes because your physical eyes are just going to see the things and the ways of this world. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and a fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes comes in. I mean, we've all been there. And someone, we, we, you know, we're sitting there and someone, you know, who, I mean, you think, wow, you know. And right away, we're, we're impressed. And we're, I don't want to say odd, but sometimes we get odd with people. And we see that and, Oh, I think I, I think I'd just love to go sit by them. I'd love to sit in that row. I, I would I would love to be by them because association that's going to really help me. Watch how many times our thoughts will go to things like that, and it, the bottom line is, what can I look like because of this? What can this do for me? How can this help me? So it's just natural. We always want to keep ourselves elevated. We always want to think we're just a little bit better. This is so natural. And James is saying, I did that. I did it to my own brother. I thought he was such a kook. And now he is learning, you know, because Jesus was a normal. I mean, he act, he he looked and and, and so, and maybe he acted maybe a little different or whatever, whatever James thought. He thought, oh, this is, this is not helping my disposition. This is not helping what people think of me when they see this doof. See, James knows that this is how he acted toward people. He maybe didn't want to show it, but he was thinking it. 
And so he says, I am going to, I'm just going to put this out there. I want you to know that we are brothers and sisters because of our glorious Savior. So get that forefront. And then when you start looking at people, have that in your forefront. You see them through the eyes of Jesus, not through what self can do or what it can do for you. If you show a special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, you sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Maybe you, you've heard this story. This was in England, and there was a, a little homeless boy, just all dirty, and he was... But he had heard that, and I, you know, through sometimes, sometimes little homeless urchins, they're smart, they're street smart. And he was running around the streets of London, and, and he had heard that Dwight L. Moody was coming to town, and he was going to be preaching in the big church. And he was determined he was going to get in there, and he was going to hear Dwight L. Moody. And so he got there, and, and he went into that. He started up the steps of that church, and, and someone caught him at the door and said, where do you think you're going? He said, well, I'm going in there to hear Dwight L. Moody preach. He's, the guy said, oh, no, you're not. You're too dirty. Look at your hands. Look at your bare feet. Look at your clothes. You're not coming in here. The little kid, because he's used to stuff like that, he just thinks, I'll find another door. I'll find a window that's open. I mean, where there's a will, there's a way. And so he went all around that big church, and every place he tried to get in, it's either locked or they prevented him from coming in because he was too dirty. He was too nothing. After all, Dwight L. Moody was coming. So he was sitting on the steps and he just was crying and tears were going down, you know, how when they have dirty faces and it's smudging. All of a sudden this big car comes up to the steps and a big man gets out and all dressed fine and he goes up, starts going up the steps to the church and he saw that little boy and he said, what's the matter, little boy? And he said, I've come here to hear Dwight L. Moody preach and they won't let me in because I'm too dirty. And that man took that little boy's hand and took him right up the steps and went right into the church and walked right down the center aisle and put the little boy in the front pew and walked up the steps. It was Dwight L. Moody. Can you imagine some of those ushers? <laughs> See, that's that story, and that's a true story, and but I think it helps us picture soul. And, and I mean, we're, we're aghast. I mean, we're just appalled that some usher would say to that little boy, you can't come in here. I remember singing at a, at a little chapel. Oh, goodness. It was in the Black Hills in Grand Rapids. It's called the Black Hills. It was just a little church. And, I mean, you talk about the poor of the poor there. And I was going to go in to sing and there were these all these little kids and they wanted to come in they wanted to come in 
And I, I had no problem. I said, Jerry, come on in. And I said, but what will, your, what will your mom or dad or grandma or, you know, whoever's taking care of you, um, oh, they don't care. They, they push us out of the door, and we don't have to, they won't let us in until 9 o'clock. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Those, those kids were out for the day. And they were dirty. They reminded me of this story. I mean, they were just, they're, you know, barefoot, dirty, and that. Happened that, that um, my, I, call her, I called her my second mother. She was, she, um, she was my California mom. And she's always, you know, prim and proper. And, and she was with us, and she watched this whole thing. And, and uh, she just brought them all in. And she had about four sitting on her lap. It was quite something for me to watch when I sang in that church. Little chapel there. But there was Gertie with all those snotty-nosed kids all over. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it was a great night. In fact, in fact, I watched her. She was handing every kid a CD after it was over. She was handing every kid one. I don't know if they'll ever be able to play it, but she was going to make sure that he left with something. And it, it comes to my mind because so often, you know, they, they try to say that those kids had to stay out. No, they're, they'll be troublemakers. They, they won't even let you sing right. They'll, they'll just, you know, cause, cause a lot of commotion. You know, the whole night was changed. We just did everything different, but those little children heard. And think about those people that wanted to keep those children out. I want to think about those ushers that said this little boy was too dirty. How do we know? I think of our, the Golgotha kids that were just so unique back then. I mean, how did I know that's, that those kids have hearts and souls and, and need to hear. They just have had bum raps. Haven't you ever said, oh, but for the grace of God, I would be? Have you ever said that? Because it's true. When I read these words from James, because I know that he says, I know we have a tendency, especially as religious people, we have a tendency to think that we're a little better. And they're not our kind. And they might be a little too dirty. Oh, that one time I, I was singing, and here comes that guy late, and he was he walked down, and he was full of chains and black leather, and oh, what a fiasco. And came right in, sat right in the front row, and oh, what have we got here? That was my first thought. What is going to happen here? That's just, that's just normal. It's what we do. We think those things because they're different than us. Oh, no. What's this little conservative church going to do now? This guy just came off his motorcycle and he's clanging. And he's sitting in the front row. What's he going to do next? I'll tell you what he did next. At the end of the night, when I asked if anybody needed to receive Jesus as their Savior, guess who came up? How do, you know, what are we going, when, when are we going to catch what James is trying to say? You don't know what's going on in their lives. You don't know what they need right now. Because of our glorious Lord Jesus, you think of what he has done for you. Every good and perfect gift that is good about you came from him. 
purpose. And so think about it the next time your tendency is to think, oh, not my kind, not. I mean, I can't imagine that you and I would ever say, oh, you stand there, oh, you sit on the floor by my feet, um, you know, you stay in your place. I mean, it's hard to think that we, we wouldn't say that. I know we won't say that. But <laughs> listen, my dear brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? See, James finally gets it. He's saying, you know, you know what here? God has chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world, you know, like the people I've been describing to you. God has chosen people like that because guess what? They have nothing else to rely on. They have nothing or no one else to trust. And so when they hear this kind of acceptance and that Jesus loves you no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, and he's standing with arms wide open, Give me there quick. You can get why. Listen, my dear brothers, God's chosen people like that. They're not caught up in themselves. They're not dependent on the things and the ways of this world. He, he has chosen them to be rich in faith. And to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? You know, sometimes I read that and I reread that, and so often when people are depending on, on you know, either wealth or fame or or power or intellect or whatever. They have a tendency. It's all. It's it's selfish. They're selfish people, and they really don't care who they hurt or what they have to do to achieve or keep achieving. That's why James said, "Haven't you been insulted?" Think about how it's not the rich who are exploiting you. Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? Boy, he really is drilling at home. Sometimes it's the people that you want, thought you wanted to be like. The people you thought you wanted to rub elbows with. When we start showing partiality, we are pretty much saying, well, we don't really understand. We don't really understand who God calls valuable. And sometimes when we show partiality, it's pretty much, let's see what they can do for me. It is bottom line. Partiality, discrimination, favoritism. Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? Yeah. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, 
So what is that? I mean, I first thought that if you really keep the scripture, if you really keep God's word, but he's saying if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, he's saying this is what the royal law is. Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. You know, the royal law, um, I looked in the King James and it was it called it law of liberty. Um, and let me just try to explain to you what that is. It, it, it helped me this week. Um, haven't you ever read about how Christ, because of Calvary and because we come to Christ, we've been set free, right? We've been set free of our sins, from ourselves, from judgment, from hell. I mean, we've been set free. You know, like you can almost feel the freedom that you have in Christ Jesus. And yet, in that same verse, Paul talks about it. He says, yeah, you're, you're free in Christ, and yet you're enslaved to him now. And it almost sounds like, you know, how can, how can freedom and enslaved be in the same verse? And I think right here, James says, I want you to make sure that you know about the fact that, yes, you have been set free from all the things that you... See, because people who don't know Jesus, they kind of look at us Christians and they think that us oh, just a bunch of don'ts. You can't do this. You can't do that. It's just one rule after another. And no, I like my freedom. But see, they don't realize that they're the ones that aren't free because they're the ones that are in bondage. They're in bondage of their sin. But because they don't understand, because the Holy Spirit isn't making it clear to them, because the Holy Spirit doesn't live inside of them, they're thinking a whole different definition of what freedom is. I can do what I want, when I want, and how I want. But they don't realize that there's going to be consequences. And so it's really not freedom at all. They're bound. They're really bound. And you and I, the freedom in Christ, yes, we are free from sin. And yet we're enslaved to him. Remember I say this every week when you come to Christ. It's not about you anymore. It's about him. We've done a, we've done a, a total reversal. Before Jesus, it was all about, we, we didn't know any different. It was all about me, myself, and I. You come to Jesus, you find it's all about him. And you want it that way. Because look what he's done to set you free. Look what he's done. Look what he's promised. Look at the future you've got. Look at the abundant life you can experience now. Look at the fruit of the Spirit that can come out of you. Look at all the, the instruction and the direction the Spirit can give you. Look at his word that he takes words off a page. You're enslaved to him because now you're under his. Well, it's, it's like Paul said, you are not your own anymore. You've been bought with a price. You've been bought with a price. So, yes, we do have all those freedoms that I said, free to, from, from all the sin and the heaviness and the guilt and we can take anything to the Lord Jesus and he'll forgive. And, but yet now we are enslaved to him. 
He expects us now to listen to his rules, to his instruction, to his, to his book. So when we say, if you, were, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, that means these aren't just words. You're hearing, you're hearing Jesus put his hands on your cheek and say, now listen, this is what I want you to do. You're my child because of the glorious, because of, of who I am and what I've done for you. This is what I want you to do. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. That is going to show volume. See how this now is continuing? It's just cut partiality and favoritism and, and kind of wanting to rub elbows with so that self can look better. This cuts it right to the chase. If you really want to be set free and if you really want to do what he wants you to do because it's the least you can do, he says, love your neighbor. Love and who is your neighbor? It's anybody who the Lord puts in front of you. Love your neighbor. And, and, what is, and where is ministry? Ministry is right where he puts you. And sometimes you'll be surprised. Sometimes when you're sitting in a hospital room, waiting, or a waiting room, or in an airplane, or I mean, I'm sure many of you have stories where all of a sudden, I think, you know, I think of how, how you met someone in an elevator at just the right time. <laughs> I mean, these are not coincidences. This isn't lucky. This isn't, you know, by chance. He's wanting us to see that where he puts us, love your neighbor. Be able to put yourself aside, and it's not about what they look like or who they are or how influential they are or what they can do for you. No, just watch how the Lord puts people in our lives for his purpose. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted, you're convicted by the law's lawmakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Do you know that you can't select where you want to obey? <laughs> you, can't, you can't just pick and choose and say, well, this is where I want to follow the Lord, you know. And then this one will all slip by. No, he's saying as simple as love your neighbor as yourself. You don't do that. And you show partiality and favoritism. And it's even just even going through your mind that you think you're just, might, you might just be a little bit better than somebody because of maybe what you've attained or whatever. He, James is just saying, will you just see how ridiculous this is? So that you are conscientious of when it happens, they, the Holy Spirit is able to catch you. Because he said, when you, when you think on those things, or, I mean, murder, adultery, uh, it, guess what? You've, you've broken it all. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. 
because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Boy, that took me a while to think on that and figure that one out. How is this, what does that mean in the context of this chapter from what he said in the first seven verses? And, and he's, 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 he's pretty much saying, would you take a look at yourself? Who do you think you are? You have been given mercy. He uses the word mercy. James loves the word mercy. We know that Paul loved the word grace. James loves the word mercy. And you know what mercy is? Not getting what you do deserve. And he's saying here, someday there's going to be a judgment. <laughs> and the fact that you have come to the cross and mercy was shown to you when you didn't deserve it. And then you think you don't have to show mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let what Jesus has done for you, let that mercy just permeate you and watch it then come out on how you think about and even look at people. You are so taken by his mercy toward you. Because you see, you've seen yourself for what you are, and you can't even hardly believe what he's done for you. That's called mercy. You know what you deserved. I know what I deserved. But instead of judgment, I am experiencing his mercy. And he's saying, that alone, that thought alone, you knowing that alone should cause you to look at people totally different. And he does remind us. You know, I, I went back to a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and saw that Paul was talking about, and he used the word, the mercy seat of Christ. And he, he said something that, you know, that kind of jolts me because I know that I will not stand in, in judgment for my sin, that my sins have been bought and paid for. But he does say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. I know we don't, hear about that much. We don't talk about that much. We, we love the thought that we won't ever stand in judgment for our sins. And we love the thought of, yes, what a day that will be when Jesus we will see. And when his arms are open and calls us by name and he welcomes us into his, his eternal home. That will be now, now our return, eternal home. We love that. We love those stories. But I think Paul wrote that to the people of Corinth to remind us that what we have done in the body, we must all be here before the judgment seat. And we will stand and receive what is due. In other words, okay, what, and this is what James is now going to introduce this concept so that we're aware of. 
we all look forward to that day, but until that day, what are we doing? What are we, how are we living out our salvation? Man, we've heard that so many times in the last weeks about, about living out. Don't just be hearers of the word, but doers. Live out your salvation. I mean, we've heard from the best of the writers, and they all seem to point us in that direction. Think about what you are doing. What, you know, just going to the cross and accepting Christ as our Savior and then going back to our old life, that's, James is going to pretty much cut to the chase that that doesn't work that way. And Paul kind of jolts us by these words by saying, what have you done with your salvation? What have you done? You've done, you've followed the instructions. You've come to the cross. You accepted him as your Savior. Okay, but now what are you doing with it? And he says it right there. I didn't make it up. That yes, it's not going to determine our, our salvation because we're saved. That we're going to heaven. No problem. But there's going to be, there's going to be, I, I love the way Ann Graham said this once. There's going to be prizes. There's going to be rewards. And he says right here, he says that each one, what we've done with our salvation, each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And so when he talks about speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law, by by God's word, going to be judged, the law that gives us freedom. Yes, it gave us freedom, but freedom to be able to live for Christ. That's the way to look at it. I've been set free to be able to live for Christ, to, be, to live the way he wants me to live so that I can experience the blessings that he promises when I live for him. And that someday I'll stand before him and Paul even talks about that someday all of our deeds after our salvation are going to go through the fire. All of our works are going to go through the fire. And that's why the next verses that James says are so important because he's saying, boy, you can't get it out of sync. You've got to be real in your belief and in, in, your, in your life with Christ and in your commitment to him and and your priorities for him, all those things, that matters. Because someday all the works that we have done are going to go through the fire and they're going to come out of the fire one of two ways. It doesn't determine our salvation. Yes, we're going to heaven, but I don't care. When you think about seeing Jesus face to face, and that's why tonight, even without the words on the board, and we sing, because I wasn't going to sing that song, but Karen, that is exactly the song we need to sing. What a day that will be when Jesus we will see. We're going to see him. Now, that all sounds well and good, but if you've done nothing, if you just took all his salvation, you talk, took his grace and mercy, and you did nothing with it, you're going to stand in front of him. And all the things that we did do, it's going to go through the fire, and they're going to come out either as ash or they're going to come out as precious stones. That's what Paul says. 
And that makes such sense to me because when they come out as precious stones, we talked, we have heard about the crown that we will lay at Jesus' feet. Won't it be wonderful to be able to lay the crown at Jesus' feet with the jewels of the works that we committed our lives to do for him because he was worthy. Instead of, and then that ash, let me put it this way. Going through the fire, all the, I think of some of the concerts that are going to go through the fire. Even though all the songs were about Jesus, oh yeah. But, but there were a few times that I sang songs because of certain people that were there. Pathetic. And you know what those concerts are going to go through? The fire. <laughs> and they're going to come out as ash. Worthless. Nothing. Nothing to it. And how would you like to put that in his nail-scarred hands? Oh, here, here's what I have for you, Jesus. Bunch of ash in your nail-scarred hands. I think that's why Paul and James talks like this. He's got to wake us up to have a see. Just take a good look. We, we are just so pitiful without him. And without listening to the Holy Spirit and listening to his word and you keep the royal law found in Scripture. And you speak and act as those who are going to be judged by this law of freedom. We are free to live for Christ, and we will stand before him someday. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Ah, big talkers, that's what they are. Big talkers. Church people who are big talkers. A man claims to, oh, I have faith. I'm in this, I'm in church twice a Sunday. I serve on all these committees. Um, I have all this kind of faith. They talk, talk, talk. They have nothing to show for it. They can turn it on and off when they want. They can turn on the church jargon, on their vocabulary. They can turn it on, and then they go out into the, into the world, and it's all about them. Not even a thought, not even a thought to, what can I do for Jesus today? James says, I've been there. I know how selfish I used to be. And how religious I used to be and how I played the game. I had a bunch of faith and I could talk it. I, my folks taught me how to say this thing and this thing. And I could say it and everybody, oh, what a nice religious boy that is. James says, I was nothing but a phony. What good is it if man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? If it's not real, guess what? Your faith, you can talk it, but if it's not real, it can't save you. I mean, I say this every week, and I'm not ashamed to say it. Unless you humble yourself and see yourself and take that walk to the cross, and you see just how, how hopeless you are without a Savior. Talk, just talk, because you can put faith in a bunch of stuff, but you can say you put faith in Christ. But if you have not changed, if you can see change, 
Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one, if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well. See, that, that doesn't that just make you sick. Oh, and there's plenty of those out there. Plenty of those religious people out there. There's plenty of church people out there. Oh, boy, you know, oh, I wish you well. Oh, I'll be praying for you. Never think about him again. Sure sounded good, though, didn't it? Oh. See, James says, I'm cutting right down to the cheese. I'm cutting right down to it. You better take a look. See, Suppose a brother or sisters without clothes daily food. If one says to him, go, I, go, I wish you well. Keep warm, well fed. Oh, yeah. But does nothing about his physical needs. What good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, I know in Romans, Paul talked about, you know, again, if you get the works before faith, well, you know, that's wrong. Because then you're doing it to try to gain his approval. See, you get the cart before the horse. That's what Paul's trying to guard against in Romans. But, oh, I just love it. Yeah, I just wish Paul would come in one door and James would come in another door. They'd come up here and they would be able to explain to you just how important. Yeah, oh, I would love to hear Paul talk about how important real faith is. And then James come and say, yeah, when it's real, then guess what's going to come out of you? And the two go hand in hand perfectly. You can't do one without the other. You have the works without the faith, well, then it's just, you know, making you look good. But then if you have if faith without works, James is saying to you, then it's just worthless. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Oh, I, th I, I picture James when he's writing that. Because I, I, I think he can get a little cynical. I think he can get a little sarcastic. I think, he, I think this, the, a little snippet of old James came through here. Because I think I could just hear him say, yeah, I could just hear someone say, oh, you've got the faith, i got the works. And, you know, James is saying, boy, that's just a bunch of hogwash. But there's people that think, well, you know, you've got this gift and you've got this gift. And James is saying, yeah, someone will come up with that one, that you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by what I do. James, James said, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. My faith produces. Real faith produces. You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. See, he's basically saying, let me put it this way. You know, you don't like to talk about the devil and you don't like to talk about demons. Well, let me just tell you what. They believe. They know he exists. They do. They know. The demons even believe. They believe that he's God. Just like people sitting in many churches are sitting there, I believe he's God. But you don't do anything with it. Then you're just like the demons that believe. I mean, don't, don't you think that that was kind of a, I mean, look at the exclamation points. And, I mean, that was another blunt way to put it. 
Oh, you think you could just talk faith, and but it didn't change your life? You know, you just can do what you want. Oh, I'm glad I, I'm glad I went to the cross and said, Jesus, my Savior. Now I'm going to go live my life the way I want to live. <laughs> James says, no, no. See, even the demons do that. You know, they, they believe that Jesus died on the cross. They, they believe that, you know, they know all that. So what's the difference? What's the difference between belief like James is going after it with us or belief like the demons? What's the difference? They both use the word believe. So which believe? I'm confused. James is saying, no, don't be confused. Because you see, the kind of belief that the demons have and the kind of belief that a lot of church people, religious people have, are, it's just that they just believe all the facts, but they haven't done a thing with it. They have not combined faith with works and, no. Hmm. So how do you know? How do you, how do you know? There's one belief that you just kind of keep in your head and have a lot of knowledge, a lot of raw information you've gotten through the years. Tell you, real belief is when it goes to your heart where the Holy Spirit dwells and now turns that knowledge, that information into wisdom. And you hear him say, yes, you're free in Christ. You're free to live for Christ. What a way to live. There's victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Wake up tomorrow morning with blessed assurance Jesus is mine. Oh, yes. And Lord hates the day when my faith, you can live like that. And that's true. What a way to live. When that goes to your heart and the Holy Spirit and his word remind you. And then out of you comes this transformation. Because it is no longer you. It's Christ that lives in you. You're li- you've been set free to live for Christ. And we should be seeing less and less of self. This is what James is trying to say. That's why he started with the glorious praise to the glorious Lord Jesus who's done it all. And then we humans, and he's talking to Christians. I mean, he's talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all guilty. You don't love the way Jesus loves you don't love and take people as they are. No, you're partial. You're, you're, you play favorites. You're easily influenced. No. Oh. You foolish man, do you want evidence? Oh, this is how he closes this chapter. He says, okay, now I'll give you proof that I know what I'm talking about. I'll give you proof that this works. I'll give you two examples, he says. And I love the examples he picked because remember, he's probably talking, like the intro said, to the 12 tribes. So he's probably talking to Jews. So he probably, you know, said, I'm going to mention Abraham because, boy, that's, that's their man. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without Deeds is useless. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? 
you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. If you ever, if you ever want, you know, like when you have a little extra time this summer and you, you think, oh, where should I, where should I go? Where should I read today? Just read after today's, tonight's lesson. Read Hebrews 11 and just go through that and just read all the, the heroes of faith. I say heroes of faith because they're just everyday people like you and me. But what they did is they put their faith into action and. God declared them as righteous. They were just average people like you and I. But they got in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And James says, I'm just going to take two of those. They were credited as righteous because, yes, they believed, but their belief was real. And, I mean, you think about in, in Genesis 12, you know, when God made that covenant with Abraham, when God said to Abraham, Abraham, I know you and Sarah are about 75 years old, and yeah, it's starting to get comfortable. Um, yeah, got kind of easy living about right now, you know, but you know what I'm going to tell you? Get up. Get up move. Well, where do you want me to go? I'm not going to tell you. I'll tell you day by day. And Abraham and all his family got up and moved. See, that's faith, <laughs> Faith is just believing. I don't understand what you're going to do with the 75-year-old people. That's what Abraham said. But well, I, I trust you. If you say move, we'll move. And look, it ended up to be Abraham is the nation that started to bring Jesus through. Man. But he took his faith. He took what he believed and he put it into action. And, and, then, and then, of course, we all know the story about Isaac. Goodness sakes. The, finally, he has a son. He's over 100 years old. He's got a son, finally. Oh, yes, I'm going to make your children as many as the sands of the sea and as the stars of the sky. And he got one son, and now you're going to ask me to kill him. Sacrifice him. I'll tell you, that's why. That is why Hebrews 11 writes that, and that's why James put it in here. You want to look at what faith is? Faith, this made no sense at all. But God loved it. God loved it and stopped him at just the right time. Oh, Abraham. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see, a person is justified by what he does, not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute? You think that's quite a flip? From Abraham to Rahab, he used two illustrations. You know, the people that are listening, they're thinking, well, you know, Abraham's Abraham. He's such a godly man. Of course, he's going to live right and all that. We have a tendency, but we know from Abraham's story that Abraham blew it a few times too. But then to use someone like Rahab, that's quite a flip side. But Rahab, I mean, you think about her past. You think about, you know... But she heard, and by faith, she believed. She didn't understand it all, but she had heard stories about the Red Sea and Moses, and she had heard those stories. That prostitute of a lady, mess of a life, but she heard she a little mustard seed of faith, that's all. 
he, she, was, she was considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Just that little mustard seed of faith, but she put it to work. I mean, let's face it, she put a lot on the line. I like her, her life and her family's life and everything. And when the spies said to her, okay, you know, put the, the scarlet cord over. And, you know, when you, when you hear the trumpets and, you, you know, get your family all in one place. And, I mean, you think about the temptations of her saying, thinking, this just makes no sense at all. I can protect my family. No, no. The spy, the, they told me to go in there with my family and put the, co- the scarlet cord over and wait there. Faith, by faith, and you put it into action, even though you don't always understand it. You just do what he says. James says, that is what makes you real. And he ends like, and the body without the spirit is dead. As the body without the spirit is dead. And we all understand that. We all know, we've all been, you know, at a loved one's side or a funeral home or whatever. I mean, you know what a lifeless body, when the Lord takes their spirit out, when the spirit is out of a body, I mean, you can say they look nice all you want, but you know they're not there. I mean, we all understand that. And he's saying, that, that's the kind of illustration I want you to see. As you know that the body without the spirit is dead, Sad to say it's, it, it's, it breaks your heart, but that's the reality of it. That's what I want you to see, that faith without works, faith without deeds, faith without action, all these pieces fit together. Faith without deeds is dead. You can talk all you want. But don't you just love the way James put it, you know? You can hear it and you can talk it, but it's like looking in the mirror and then walking away and you forget what you look like. I mean, you know, it's worthless. It does no good at all. And you think of how much time we've spent. I hope this really is drilled home to you tonight and how this whole chapter just flows with a with just purpose of getting us to look at ourselves and again humbling ourselves and realizing that we need this book, we need his spirit. We just plain need the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for this lesson. Father, how we praise you for loving us so much that you know how badly we need instruction and you give it. Father, sometimes we go over it and we repeat, and, but Lord, that's what you do. You make sure that we keep going over it until we realize that it can't be just raw information, but we've got to put it into practice. Father, I think by trying to understand James and the way he writes his book, I think he's just talking about just the average human being and the problems he faced and how he tried to sneak things by in the name of religion or in the name of faith. 
that that gave him a license to live the way he wanted to live. But Father, help us to see that because of our glorious Lord Jesus, you expect us to have that freedom in Christ, but to know that we are enslaved to him. He owns us. But that we shouldn't want it any other way. We are his child. We, are, we belong. And what a family to belong to. Father, may we live our lives worthy of the calling, worthy of our salvation. May we live like that. May we, may, may not to scare us, but yet to wake us up that we will stand in front of our Savior someday and he will outstretch his nail-scarred hands and welcome us at home. And to know that we will give an account or we will be given awards or, or whatever, whatever it is. Maybe it's just the smile on his face. The greatest prize is to see him smile at us. Father, may, may our deeds, may, may this shake us to say that you have shown us such mercy. Now may we live out mercy. Father, we, we want to see less and less of our natural human ways. And may we love to watch you change us into the likeness of your son. And that doesn't come easy. But Father, it does come from this book and from your spirit and from commitment and effort and dedication. Father, you're worth it all. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.